0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You're listening to Setting the Pigs, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Goldman and Michael Fauci. Sabonis down the lane
0: with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lutford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes, TJ Warren is not human. The
1: Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it, Setting the Pace, and I think that's terrific. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Golden, and introducing my co-host, he wears sweaters in the summer and takes long bubble baths with his Rosho Nostarevich Pacers jersey on. It's the weird, but always entertaining Michael, Juan Dixon, Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? Wow, just so much to dissect
2: right there. Love a good bubble bath, but uh, lacking the Rosho jersey, but uh, at at the same time, summer comes around, sun's out, guns out.
1: So uh, you didn't even get the uh, Michael Juan Dixon Fachi reference? I, I did. But you you're, you named five things for me to to reference. You know, come on, man. A guy that played for the Wizards. Yes,
2: you know? yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, there was I didn't know where to start. Yeah, well, I think I I think I threw a lot at you there. But like I said, you want these entertaining intros, you're gonna get them. So today we got a lot to talk about, though, Pacer Nation. The Indiana Pacers still have not made a decision on their head coach, Nate Bjorken, But there have been a few names that have been linked to him. First and foremost, Terry Stotts, who was just released or fired by the Portland Trailblazers. And, of course, Steve Clifford, he parted ways with the Orlando Magic Focci. When you saw all these reports coming up, what were your thoughts? My thoughts was, hey, if the
2: Pacers are going to, you know, let go Nate Bjorken, there's going to be some competition. Because when we first started, you know, not when we first, but when we recorded a couple of weeks ago, the Pacers' you know, head coaching position looked like maybe going to be the only one that was open. Now all of a sudden you have the Orlando Magic opening, you have the Boston Celtics opening, and now you have the Portland Trailblazers opening. Two of those jobs are highly appealing. So if the Pacers are going to make a move here, they better have someone kind of lined up because it would be a bit risky to
1: not have a head coach in mind. Yeah, so what I will say is the name that I have been wanting for the Pacers to go after is Chauncey Billups. He has been linked to both Portland and Boston. So I I feel like I might be striking out on that one. Mike D'Antoni is another name that's been linked. I didn't see his name linked to to Boston, but I did see it to Portland. I did. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really just interesting here because those are my two top guys right now. There's been a lot of stuff out there, and I threw out the idea, and I'm, I'm curious if you agree with this. Similar to what the Hawks did by hiring Nate McMillan as their head assistant, Knowing that at any moment, if stuff starts going bad with Lloyd Pierce, they can move on and have a guy in there ready to take over. I could see that same situation if they brought Nate Bjorkman back and then hired Terry Stotts. Now, some people might say, why would Stotts do that? Well, look, if these are the only coaching jobs available, I don't think Boston is going to hire Terry Stotts, and I don't think Orlando would. Because Orlando is going into rebuild mode, I don't think Terry Stotts wants to be a part of that. So, I think if you were able to bring him on as a head assistant and then have not like the pressure on Nate Bjorkman to to figure it out, but, you know, somebody competent there to kind of play, go underneath him or be there to replace him, that makes sense to me. But at the same time, I just don't think that any of these big name guys are going to want to work for a guy like Nate Bjorkman.
3: Yeah.
2: I'm going to be honest, Alex. I love the idea of Terry Stotts as a head assistant coach on the bench. I love it because That's what last year I felt like the Pacers were lacking was that assistant coach that had the head coaching experience. Terry Stotts, been a head coach for 11 years in the NBA. He's coached over 1,000 games Uh, with Portland in specific. He has, I have his record right up, 402 wins, 318 losses. I mean, it's by no means bad at all. Playoff record, very subpar, 23 and 44. But you're talking about an assistant coach that could fill in if you're going to fire Nate Bjorken you know, during the regular season. I like it a lot. I mean, right now, it's going to be hard for Terry Stotts to get a job as a head coach this year. I, I just think that there's nothing that he did you know, recently that's going to make him going to be a major fill-in, unless it is Orlando that wants him, like you mentioned. Mm. But I, I think that might be something that he would be open to in terms of joining the Pacers because... When you take it from the standpoint of Nate McMillan, it seemed like Nate McMillan was going to take a year off. And then he goes to a place where there actually is an opportunity if it doesn't work out with Lloyd Pierce. And this feels like that situation. So yeah, I would love if, if he would welcome that opportunity.
1: Yeah, but I, I do think that Lloyd Pierce did have a better reputation around the league. Navy So I think there could be some wrinkles oh, yeah. there to sure. iron out. But at the same time, I do want to mention this because if you're thinking about what the Pacers are looking for in a head coach, a lot of what Terry Stotts brings to the table is that. Now, I did put out his awful defensive rating last year. The Blazers were 29th in defense last season. So obviously, Terry Stotts is mostly known for his offense. But if you look at that Blazers roster, you're not going to get much defense outside of Robert Covington and maybe Derrick Jones Jr. So that entire roster was an offensive driven roster. And that's, you know, kind of the way the league's going. But at the same time, I do not like all of the the pieces there in Portland, but I will say I did do some research today. I listened to Mike Richmond, who is the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. And he talked about Terry Stotts. And one of the things that he mentioned was how great he is at making personal connections with media members, staff members, and players. Said that former Indiana Pacers, a reporter, Burke Olsendam, and him have a terrific relationship. He is Mike is actually a beat writer, like I said, for the Blazers. He said when he was laid off because he was the number two beat writer for the um uh, uh the newspaper he was writing for. Terry Stotts texted him and, and said, "Super sorry to hear that you're not going to be on the beat. You know, wish me the best of luck." Like Terry Stotts had no reason to do that. Apparently, they had a forty minute. Uh, get together at a bar where he just bought him a drink and they had a nice conversation. So oh, that's nice. it just seems like Terry Stotts knows how to make those personal relationships, those personal connections. And I, I mean, he's been there nine years of Portland. I mean, obviously there's a time when you have to call it quits, but at the same time, this is a guy that I really think could be enticing to the Pacers organization because what they really want to do is, is just make this whole thing be where players and, and staff members and, and, and the coaching staff feels like they can connect with the, um, with the head coach. And I think Terry Stotts could do that.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, that's everything that it sounds like Nate and was lacking in terms of being able to have those personal relationships. And I know that you mentioned Portland's defensive efficiency. I mean, defensive rating, it was terrible this year. It was, but in 2019, 2020, on the other hand, they were top five. I'm looking at it right now. So it's not like he has this history of always being a horrendous, you know, defensive-minded coach. And also in 2017, 2018, feels like an eternity because that's when, you know, things were going great with Depot and everything for the Pacers. That Portland was also eighth in defensive rating. So it's not like he's always just been, you know, good offense, you know, terrible defense so it feels like this could be a way to maybe get more in between. Obviously, we would need more assistant coaches in place to figure out what we're going to be doing. But at the same point, I just think that this is someone who's very capable of doing the job when it, it felt like Nate Bjorkman, just felt like it got off to a rough start early on, and it feels like he's lost the locker room. And Terry Stiles, we're talking about this is out West. He's he just you know, a few years removed from a Western Conference Finals appearance. I get it. Portland, when you have an MVP type caliber player like Damian Lillard, you need to get out of the first round routinely. And that's something they were unable to do. But that's also out West. It's hard. I mean, most of the time, you know, you're facing a golden state in the playoffs. Portland, they were underdogs in a lot of the series that they were in. So it's not like they were choking uh, when they got to the playoffs. But hey. You bring him over in the East, I feel like he could be doing some nice things. But when you're talking about as a head assistant, I love it.
1: Yeah, so you're out on a head coach position for him?
2: I'm not in love with that. I I think it feels like you're you're kind of the spot we were in last year where it's, are we going to go after the recycled head coach that hasn't really been able to win? Because – when you look at his playoff record, like I mentioned, 23-44, and 44. by no means is that good at all. What stands out is the Western Conference Finals trip. But Portland, they did deal with a lot of injuries year after year. It feels like there's a CJ McCollum injured, uh, injury, a Nurkic injury, a Dame injury. So they've had their fair share, but it's one of those where, do I think he's a better head coach than Nate Bjorken? Yes, I yeah. do. Is this a home run hire as a head coach?
1: No. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I think you, you're you maybe getting a double if, if you hire him because I don't think the the ceiling is all the way there for him. But but that's just my opinion. Who knows what he does with a different roster, a different buildup. Like, we've never seen him have a team where it's a dominant big man like Savonis. You know, Aldridge obviously had moments there in Portland, but it was a totally different type of player. I'm talking about a guy that can be, you know – just a, a great screen and roller, a great facilitator and not have to rely. I mean, that's what I felt like so much was a lot of their offensive came, offense came from give it to Dame and get out of the way. So quite frankly, you know, I, I get while, why it's not the most sexy pick, but I think that I'd be much more excited about next season if he's in the captain's chair over Nate Bjorkman. But at the end of the day, I just, you know, I, I still think Chauncey, Mike D'Antoni, those kind of names are a little bit more appealing to me but after hearing so many good things about him, it just seems like that Portland-Indiana connection makes a lot of sense here.
2: It does, and, and by no means if they hired him, I wouldn't be mad at all. I would be thinking, okay, hey, at least we got a, a guy that, you know, we know is very capable of the job, like you mentioned. The making those player relationships, player-coach relationships, that's very strong. I mean, mm-hmm. it just we're asking for a guy to basically just be, can you win basketball games and be normal? Well, Nate Bjorkman couldn't do either of them. And and to tell you the truth, he rubbed a lot of people wrong very quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're still not sure. It's 524 on June 7th here in the afternoon. We're still trying to figure out what's going to happen with Bjorkren. But at the end of the day, I'm just not sure. I think if you're looking at the remaining playoff teams, the only coach I think that could be fired at this moment is Mike Budenholzer with the Bucs, if they somehow get swept or, or go out quickly against the Nets, especially without James Harden, because I know he's already been kind of on the hot seat a little bit the last couple of seasons. And then the only other job that I think that is still in limbo is a New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans head coach, Stan Van Gundy. There was a report that said that, you know, they could move on from him, but they uh, they haven't yet. So still plenty of time, obviously. The draft's not until late July, so there's still plenty of time. It just feels like an eternity because we're just anxiously awaiting an answer, whether it's good or bad, right, Foch? So um, Steve Clifford as well was mentioned. I just don't see Steve Clifford no. as the right guy. No. Uh, he's fine, but he did do well with Charlotte. Orlando, obviously, they were just kind of stuck in the mud there with what they were doing. I think he would be a great assistant, assistant coach, and I think that he would make more sense if the Pacers brought on Terry Stotts to, to pair with him than to try to put him under Navy Orkran.
2: Hey, but it's something like that. I mean, I would be happy with that if you're essentially getting two head coaches in one off season. I mean, because it's like, look, I don't think anyone's going to be overly in love if Terry Stotts is, you know, named outright the Pacers head coach. You shouldn't be mad by any means, but if you have Steve Clifford, another very capable, you know, coach. Being an assistant, at that point, you feel like, okay, this coaching staff is rounding out. They can hold each other in check. They've been around. There's a ton of experience where this year we didn't have any of that. So I would like that if they're going to do like a tag team, head coaching type thing, you know, one of those, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, so just want to give you guys a quick heads up on what else we're going to do on this podcast. So it's kind of cool, actually. We've got two guests coming on, one covering the New Orleans Pelicans and one covering the Sacramento Kings. And we're going to play a little bit of GM simulator kind of thing. So basically, Fachi will serve as uh, GM, Chad Buchanan. I'll be Kevin Pritchard for this episode today. And we'll have two guests on to be the GM slash president of their teams that they're respecting, like I said, Pelicans and Kings. And we're going to see if we can maybe kind of find some common ground here on what those two teams might want from this Pacers roster, and if we feel like there'd be a good deal there, so I think that's really exciting. And then, of course, you have been seeing plenty of rumors about Kristaps Porzingis. I can promise you, next week we will have a Dallas Mavericks guy on to do the same GM simulator. But at the end of this episode, me and Fachi will be back to wrap up the show. Hit on that Kristaps Porzingis information and trade rumor stuff, and we'll also hit on the cgm McCollum rumors that have been kind of you know hitting the hitting the uh twitter twitter sphere since uh that whole thing went down with terry stotts so we will be right back and we are going to bring on our pelicans gm slash president for a little gm simulator
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: All right, now everybody joining us now, he covers the New Orleans Pelicans. It's Elliot Clough. Elliot, what's going on, man?
3: Alex, it is a beautiful day in Iowa at the ballpark. Um, like I said, I call baseball games for the summer, so all things are good, man. It's uh, going to be an interesting offseason for both of our teams, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. So you actually cover the Pelicans for the Believe Podcast Network, is that correct?
3: No, so I'm with Boot Crew Media now. Okay. Um, formerly with with Believe, but now it's Pelicans Plus with Boot Crew Media. Um, they sought me out in December of this last year, and uh, we've been working together since then. It's been it's been nothing but good stuff. Justin Napoli, uh, Ross Tevino, two guys that I work with there. Uh, great people, and I've had a blast this entire
1: time. Awesome. So what we are going to do, in case you guys were a little bit confused, um, Elliot is going to act like David Griffin and the president of the New Orleans Pelicans. Bocci's going to act like Chad Buchanan. I'm going to be Kevin Pritchard on this call. And we're going to see if there's any kind of deal that we can get done here between these two teams because there's been a lot of uh, you know conversation, I think, from both Pels fans and Pacers fans for certain players on our rosters. And maybe there could be a deal to be worked out here. So uh, we are going to do this. Uh, we're going to make a call real quick to David Griffin. Hey, David, it's Kevin Pritchard here. Uh, how's it going, man? i good, Kevin. How are you? Doing pretty well. I think we both kind of struck out on our coaching hires this year. But aside from that, uh, we'll get to that later. Let's just uh, sit here and talk about our players. So I, I, I've been hearing numerous rumors that you guys have interest in one of our centers, Miles Turner. Uh, is there any other deals or is there any deal that you would like to put out there for one of our guys?
3: So Miles Turner has been on the plate for us for a while, been talking about him since last offseason, but Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis have both garnered our attention. That's pretty interesting. Hey, guys, this is
2: the rad man, Chad
3: Buchanan. Um, Step it in. And, uh, you know, I know that's very
2: interesting that you are, you know, looking at Malcolm Brogdon Sabonis. However, while we have you on the line, I wanted to see if, The rumors are true. If you are truly interested in Miles Turner, and if we could come to maybe a deal centered around Turner, is there any, uh, you know, availability in that?
3: That's certainly a possibility. Who would you like in exchange for Mr. Turner?
2: So Kevin and I, we were looking at a few names and, um, you know, the Pelicans are slated to have about $18 in cap space, 10th overall pick this year. Wanted to see, you know, from looking at your, your contracts, there are a couple that may be a bit unfavorable. If the Pacers were to, say, maybe take on a Eric Bledsoe contract you to, to include Nikhil Alexander-Walker and, let's say, maybe the 10th overall pick as of now, um, how does uh, Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb sound?
3: That sounds like a done deal to me. Obviously, uh, might want to exchange that 10th pick, keep that 10th pick to for wagering purposes, but in a normal circumstance, or, or Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, but should we remove that 10th overall pick, do we have a deal?
2: Mm. Kevin, what do you think? I'd, l- I'd like to keep that pick in there.
1: Yeah, there, there's no way this deal's getting done without that pick. And, and to be honest, Chad, I think we could get a little bit more from miles elsewhere from what we've been hearing across the league. I just don't think this is enough for us. I, I think that, quite frankly, if I'm starting anywhere in this you guys have a restricted free agent in Lonzo Ball, and you know that we are an organization that does not usually go after restricted free agents. If you go back and look at our Malcolm Brogdon deal, we did offer up a first and a second round pick in addition to uh, going out and agreeing to a trade. So in this situation, since we'll be giving a player back, I really think we could find something there between a sign and trade with Lonzo Ball for Miles Turner. Chad, are you more on that on that side of the fence than you are the uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker fence? Chad, are you there? Did you drop your phone?
2: Uh, No, Chad. Chad. I mean, Chad's still here. Um, You know, I'm I'm interested in Lonzo. I am. However, I do think that if we are going to make a deal for Lonzo, I think it might want to include Malcolm Brogdon in there uh, to make more of a swap. I think we could be a bit too guard heavy. At that point, uh, if we deal Turner and have uh, Lonzo, Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert all wanting to handle the rock. So uh, what are your thoughts on pivoting towards more of a a Brogdon for Lonzo package?
3: That's something I could definitely get on board with. Uh, Lonzo for Brogdon straight up, or would you? No. We're going to have to, you know, it, it wouldn't be
2: including the 10th overall pick, but what about a swap for the 13th to move up to 10?
3: I think we could – yeah, that, that would be – that sounds good to me. I'm all in for that. Kevin?
1: Uh, Chad, are you the one that convinced me to hire an A.P. Ah, uh,
3: No,
2: <laughs> I do know that you had some ties to him, as did I. So, you know. I'm, it,
1: not, I'm not understanding your trade uh, philosophies here because <laughs> it feels like you're underselling our players. Uh, uh, we might have to call you back, David. I'm not sure <laughs> me and my GM are on the
2: same page here. Hey. But anyway, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of cooks. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's quit playing role play. But anyway, so clearly, there, me and me and Fachi are totally different boats. I don't, I don't know, Elliot. What do you think? I mean, quite frankly, to me, I I just don't think Lonzo Ball is too ball dominant where we couldn't have him on the roster there with four, uh, with Warren LaVert and Malcolm Brogdon.
3: Well, this year, Lonzo played a lot off the ball. Yeah. Um, his his role greatly transitioned um, from being a point guard where honestly he he's not very good in the half court offense. I'm not sure if that's knowledge throughout the league, but it's certainly well known in New Orleans. So uh, if if you want to keep him in that role, um, you can you can keep Brogdon or you can trade him. I think in a situation where you trade Brogdon for Lonzo, you've got enough ball dominant guys um, in in Indiana that can fill that void that's left by Brogdon, especially considering he was hurt a lot this year. So that situation has been kind of figured out. And what Lonzo does is provides perimeter defense and three-point shooting. Three-point shooting is not going to be all that consistent, but the defense will definitely be consistent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I know
3: Alex is higher
2: on Lonzo than I am. Uh, Honestly, if we're making a trade over here, I think I would rather be dealing Turner than I would for Brogdon. So, My trade that I initially packaged of Bledsoe, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and the 10th overall pick for Turner and Lamb, if that deal could have got done, I think that would be great. That A, you're getting an expiring contract in Jeremy Lamb. B, you're getting Miles Turner, who I think you can pair right next to Zion. And then you'll also still have Steven Adams there. Uh, Bledsoe, you get that deal off the books. still has two years left. Pacers get a defensive mighty guard. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you still get a young player that still has room to continue to develop. So.
3: not is awesome, you guys. Before he got oh, yeah. hurt this year, he was I'm a, a tertiary shot creator that the Pelicans desperately needed. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, tells would have gotten into the play, and I, I guarantee it.
1: I'm a fan of his game. Well, I want to ask you this because, Focci, I want to ask you this because just hearing your conversation, you're like, well, I don't want any more ball-dominant guards. Well, Elliot said that Lonzo's not ball-dominant, and at the end of the day, why would you want to take on Eric Bledsoe's contract? Because he is another guard as well. When you get a better upgrade at guard in Lonzo Ball, I mean, I just got to ask, I guess, I guess a two part question. So, first, Fochie, answer that, and then to Elliot, would the Pelicans be in it? But do you think the Pelicans would have any interest in doing a sign of trade of Lonzo Ball for Miles Turner?
3: Fochie, go ahead.
2: Uh, one, I think Lonzo is better with the ball in his hands as compared to not having it in his hands. I think you're taking away a guy that has vision that I feel like you really can't teach and you're just removing it from his game. As Elliot was saying, really wasn't as good in the half-court offense with that. So if I'm having Lonzo ball, I would want him handling the ball more than not. Um, and then uh, I believe the next question was for Elliot.
3: Yeah, so in regarding... Lonzo and having him ball in his hands the plan for the Pelicans this year is as far as what SVG brought up on the low post is have him play sort of the wing in the half court but essentially play point guard in the fast break and the thing is the Pelicans pace uh with with SVG at the helm has not been anywhere near what it was with Gentry so you didn't even get to see him really have the ball in his hands except like it was, it is very minimal that you got to see that this year so and it's, it's really a toss-up between NBA fans, um, whether they believe Lonzo should have the ball in his hands versus shouldn't. We've seen the best of Lonzo without the ball in his hands as opposed to last year. So, at least in my mind's eye, I think somebody out there would disagree with that, especially in uh, the Lonzo-Stan community because they're crazy. But mm. as far as the sign-and-trade for Turner, I think I'd be, I'd be down for that just as far as – the games go. The Pelicans, I would prefer for them to move off Stephen Adams if that happens. And right. then you start getting yeah, into you would. <laughs> a, a three-team trade scenario where maybe he ends up in Boston or Charlotte or maybe, I don't know, Portland. Because, um, you know, Nurk is hurt a lot. Not that Stevens not I a could, guy who gets hurt. But.
1: Well, see, I could see Sacramento as well as a place for Stephen Adams. Okay. especially especially if they lose Rashawn Holmes in free agency.
3: Yep, yep, that makes sense.
1: You know, I mean, and what was it, a two-year 17 and a half million per year deal, or is it three yeah. years?
3: yep, two years. Yeah, and if they I get mean, off Buddy Heald's contract too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's know. the end of the world, to, to be honest with you, if they do that. But I just, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I feel like if I'm the Pacers, like, I get it. Like, you look at Turner and you're like, okay, he's the fifth option on offense with the starting five and you know he's not a great rebounder but he's a good rim protector I mean I just think that the pacers have to be very smart here because to me I I don't really see Eric Bledsoe and uh Nikhil Alexander Walker as much of a massive upgrade <laughs> when you're trying to trade Turner I think Alonzo can fit in right away and kind of be that connector on offense not where he has to be the ball dominator and have the ball in his hands like Fauci said but I, I feel like he can still be involved in that and he's a, he's a great rim, a perimeter defender, you know, obviously he could get better. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, if he was super great, then, you know, I think the Pelicans would be better, but he's still a good uh, perimeter defender and that's where the Pacers really struggled the most this season. So that's, that to me is why i really liked Lonzo ball for Turner more than giving up Brogdon in that kind of a deal. I mean, I understand why Fachi maybe went that route, but at the end of the day, I just, Respectfully disagree with my uh, with my co-host here on our yeah. philosophy on how we would build our team and a trade for the uh, and, and trade with the Pelicans. you got to include that tenth overall pick in the
2: deal because by no means am I doing a deal of Bledsoe and Alexander Walker for Miles Turner. So the tenth overall pick is the major trade chip in there.
1: Yeah, I was
3: definitely just trying to play the role of you don't take the first offer, right? But honestly. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a deal that I think a lot of people would sign up for. It's tough to part with Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, I know a lot of people are the the core young guys that we haven't quite seen their potential quite yet. Is Jackson Hayes, exactly Nikhil Alexander Walker, and then Kyra Lewis. But Kyra, excuse me, not and Jackson have been awesome, and it's going to be really hard to part with them. So the the return will have to be somewhat substantial um, in terms of a guy who we know what he is like a Miles Turner.
2: So I just could not find a way to include Jackson Hayes in here when the Pacers already have Sabonis and Goga, but I completely agree. That's another player that I think has a lot of talent, has not been able to fully show it. And you're talking about between Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes. Those are two lottery picks. I mean, those are two just from two years ago. So the talent's there. That's why I feel like he has that untapped talent that if you were to add him to the Pacers, I think he can contribute right away. Getting another lottery pick, being able to pick at 10 and 13, I feel like gives the Pacers an influx of young talent while Eric Bledsoe just has two years left on the deal. And if that's the worst part of the trade, then hey, it's not that bad. The Pacers defense was horrendous
3: last year. And the thing about Bled, is that next year the next year part of his contract only 3 million is guaranteed so he's essentially an expiring.
0: Okay.
3: Um and Bled I'm I'm sorry guys I, you know to be honest if we were doing a if we were doing a trade scenario and you wanted Eric Bledsoe I I'd, I'd, I'd offer him in a moment. He was atrocious this year. Like mm-hmm. this is probably the worst basketball he's ever played. Got to be. Know, we we've seen him in the playoffs be awful. And it was just like that for 72 games.
1: Yeah, I want nothing to do with Eric Bledsoe, and I understand what Faj is saying, but I just think with how the Pacers have always run their organization, they're not a team that trades for multiple picks. It's just they don't really value picks. And when we had Kevin Pritchard on our podcast to kind of discuss all that, he kind of, like, threw aside the idea, like, he doesn't value picks as much as I think fans yeah. do. So that, to me, like, I get, like, and I know me and Foch have talked a lot about picks, but but to me, it just does not seem like that would be a route the Pacers would go. And quite frankly, I know that you said you would take that deal on a heartbeat, Elliot. But some part of me thinks like, would the Pelicans really want to part with Alexander Walker if that's, they could? That, if yep, they could? If they could do Lonzo instead, a guy that they might not want to bring back and put on the books because they've already got so much money invested in so many other guys. I'm not saying that Lonzo is not someone that they should invest in, but if they could get a Turner to go with a Zion and then maybe try to flip a Steven Adams or a Bledsoe or something for something else, I mean, that might be the route to go upon the Pelicans.
3: Yeah, and Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes, like I said, that'll be the stopgap in a situation like this. And the Lonzo move is so difficult, too, because in the postseason media session where everybody was made available, all the players, Stan Van Gundy, David Griffin came up to speak. Brandon Ingram told the media that, he, in his exit meeting, he said that he wanted to bring back Josh Hart and Lonzo, and then he followed it with especially Lonzo. Zion says he wants him to come back, too. Now, depending on the return, you know, if you can get a Miles Turner able to move off Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe, and, get, well, you lose Lonzo, who's honestly been pretty inconsistent with his offense, well, I, I'm okay with that in terms of a if you just look at at it on paper. But with the relationships that Lonzo's fostered, do you lose the locker room when you already have the rumors that Stan Van Gundy isn't, quote, vibing with the young guys, you know?
2: Yeah, and those are two things that I kind of wanted to get into a little bit because obviously in a sign-and-trade, you know, if the Pacers made a move for Lonzo, like, sure, he's got to go. But I think in my mind, when I was already hearing that he's unhappy in New Orleans, I don't know how happy he would be in Indiana, and not to compare them, but it just feels that he wants a bigger market than the two of those. I mean, do you think that Lonzo would willingly resign and be happy about it in, in New Orleans, or do you think it's kind of a, hey, at some point, he might want out?
3: So what I've gathered, you know, the, the rumors about him not being happy, that's all from at least what I've gathered. Maybe there's something else out there that I haven't heard, but um, as far as I know, that's just all from LeVar, that's what I um, heard. Okay. Yeah. And and Lonzo has said it multiple times. I speak for myself. Yeah. Um, and, and he's really sort of separated from his dad, obviously not big baller brand stuff anymore. Yep. Um so and from what I know, um I I have a little bit of inside information. What I've heard is that Lonzo loves New Orleans. I mean, he's always posting food um uh, the classic New Orleans food uh, on his Instagram story. He showed clearly that he's very close with some of the guys on the staff um, and, and the, the, uh, in the ro- on the roster. So to me, I think he'd willingly resign. Um, sign he's, um, he's just not a really – he's not a big personality. And I think New Orleans fits that like it did for Brandon Ingram, i.e. why B.I. signed the Max contract. As far as the media attention that follows him, that's the New York that's the LA market I would not be surprised if the Knicks offered him a ton of money this offseason
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense and I mean you got to be smart with matching that if you're if you're in New Orleans just because you yeah. don't want to get yourself so locked down with stupid contracts like you look back at some of the Cavaliers deals that uh that David Griffin did and I just makes me a little bit nervous there for Pelicans fans because it's like you know he traded for Bledsoe and Stephen Adams and it's like okay like you know yeah. like and it wasn't even necessarily the Adams trade that I hated it was the extension on top of it like yep. right made absolutely zero sense and I think that was probably the dumbest move of the offseason I'm sure there was a lot more but like that's the one that I was just like so dumbfounded by but real quick I mean I'm not saying it'll happen with Indiana but I've kind of heard some thoughts out there about maybe the Pelicans move on from Brandon Ingram and I know that it sounds crazy since it's only his what second third year there so what are your thoughts on on BI and is there any chance that the Pelicans move on from him to try to make this roster fit Zion a little bit better
3: yeah so i absolutely went off on that this morning believe it or not for about 15 minutes of a 28 minute podcast um <laughs> that there's actually there's rumors that he wants out believe it or not from wow. one source um Uh, that hosts the podcast, and I don't know where he got this information. Nobody um, within direct Pelicans media has said anything, and this is the only person I've heard anything from, just not the most reliable source. I don't believe it for a second. I mean, Brandon signed a max contract last year with no player options. So it's just full five years, $159 million. Now, as far as the Pelicans organization making a move, I'd be much more inclined to believe that as opposed to a situation where BI wants out. Like you want to leave Zion Williamson after what you saw this year, that just doesn't make sense. Um, And maybe you have an issue with Stan Van Gundy, but it's been one year, it was a shortened year and you barely got to practice together. Okay, come on. Um, And I'd say, I think that would say more about BI than the organization, but anyway. Yeah, the one. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I was just going to finish off by talking about the Pelicans maybe making a move. It would have to be a situation where they feel like they get, they're get they able to get like a Damian Lillard. Like, like that is – I mean, Brandon's on the upward trajectory. This isn't going to be a situation where they get a bunch of shooters in exchange for him or something like that. It's got to be a superstar for Brandon Ingram in, in a situation where he's traded. You know, like a Brandon Ingram plus three picks for Portland – to, uh, for Damian Lillard or something like that. But it'd have to really blow blow me away, and I think it would have to blow the Pelicans away as well.
2: I have always been a fan of Brandon Ingram's game. So I think that's a player that, you know, you want to keep happy there and, and build, continue to build around with him and Zion. But, you know, we mentioned a little bit about Stan Van Gundy, and it did seem that, you know, his first year didn't really get off to the best start. Uh, do you think that there's any risk that San could, you know, be out of a job, you know, in this offseason, or is this one of those where you absolutely give him, you know, at least part of next year to see if things change?
3: That's the vibe that I get from David Griffin is you like he's gonna get another year. Yeah, but I, I just I'd be floored if they fired a second coach in two years Agreed. with Zion Williamson. Like I've been told continuity is overrated, but when it's your first two years, and, and I think there's some merit to that a little bit, at least when it, term, when it comes to players, like if you can get Brandon Ingram and trade Brandon Ingram and get Damian Lillard in, in exchange, you're probably gonna do it. But at least overall continuity, like at, at least something stuck around for Zion. So it's it'd just be walking the fine line of being proactive and being dysfunctional. Um, and obviously there's rumors that there's a little bit of smoke, whether there's fire or not, I don't know. Um, but Jordan Schultz, I talked about this on podcast today too. Jordan Schultz of ESPN said that Vanterpool is getting a little bit of attention around the league and that he's a name to watch if Stan Van Gundy gets fired. So I, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how legitimate that is, but I'd prefer to keep Stan Van Gundy around one year or another year at the least because it's, it's just not – he didn't get to teach this year. He's a teacher who didn't get to teach. And I understand the resentment built because he can't do his job and the uh, young guys aren't seeing the fruits of their labor um, in terms of wins. So I understand the frustration, and I think the frustration is warranted because they're not winning and the roster is talented enough to win in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I'll just say this. I, I feel like with the, with the way the whole pandemic affected the NBA, having to get a, a restart late on the 2020 season and, and finishing that out in the bubble and then coming back right away in December, I think it just had a lot of wear and tear on these players, these front offices, and it almost feels like two seasons pushed together because yep. of how crazy it's been. And it's like, we're seeing a lot of you know, guys just mentally go through some stuff and that have come out and talked about it, like Brad Stevens stepping down, saying it was just mentally taxing on him. Like, it's just crazy to think about, like, not having that lengthy offseason does matter. And when we had Kevin Pritchard on, like he mentioned, there's like zero time to practice because of the condensed schedule and trying to get 72 games in in a short amount of time. So like you said, if, if Van Gundy is a teacher, this is definitely difficult for him to be able to implement everything that he wants to do and get it down pat. And I I think that some of that can be said too for Nate Orkran. but I will say this, I, I feel like Van Gundy's relationship with the front office and maybe his coaching staff is much, much better than what was reported on Nate Bjorkman. So we're both kind of in the same boat. It's weird to see a coach get fired if you're just getting hired you know, last season, but crazier things have happened. I think both these teams could make a trade. I just don't know what it is, obviously, like I said earlier, me and Fauci are on two different spectrums here. But, Elliot, real quick, if you're looking down the middle, what did you, what trade do you think would make the most sense or would be the most realistic?
3: I think it would probably involve ball. I, I think that's the best fit you're going to get from from the Pelicans. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nikhil Alexander-Walker is involved in a trade, too, um, just depending on who – the the Pels get in exchange, I think it's going to be more than likely a Miles Turner or Malcolm Brogdon. I know a lot of people have interest in Sabonis. I'd assume that you guys wouldn't be interested, or or the Pacers wouldn't be interested unless they decide to blow it up. Um, Is that fair?
1: Somewhat. I mean, I I think Sabonis can be had for the right piece. I just, personally, I don't think Sabonis and Zion make a ton of sense together. I think that Turner makes way more sense with Zion.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I, I think... That is very much a, a speculation sort of thing on what Savonis could be as a shooter, but mm-hmm. I, I I'd go Turner over Savonis.
1: Yeah, fit wise for sure, for sure. So, Vachi, did you have any other thoughts or questions?
2: Uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, as my last thought, maybe we always see the Pelicans linked to Miles Turner. It feels like once a year. Does the fan be? the fan base feel strong about acquiring Miles Turner, or is that more of a media driven
3: thing? Um. I'd probably say that's a media-driven thing. I think much like a lot of other fan bases, a lot of fans are focused on Photoshopping Damian Lillard into a Pelicans jersey over acquiring Miles Turner. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... Um, Aren't <After> they all? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I, like you said, it does get brought up, like, once a year. Um, I, I think I think it's justified. I think the fit is there, especially with Zion, like you guys have mentioned. Um So, I mean, I'm all for it. I I would love the acquisition. Steve, when it comes down to the issues that the Pels have, it's going to be pretty much what Griff said. It's IQ, defense, and shooting. And if you can get a spacing big like a Miles Turner, that just opens up so much, not just for Zion, but Brandon Ingram too. Brandon Ingram barely shot any layups or barely had any dunks this year. It was all hard work mid-range jump shots, basically, at least at the beginning of the season. I had Jamel McMillan on, former Pelicans uh, coach and then son of Nate McMillan. I had him on my podcast in January, December or January, and he mm-hmm. said it. Everything is hard. Yeah. Everything the Pelicans do is hard. And that was at the beginning of the season, but it really tracked for for a good part of the season too.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. So, Elliot, once again, let the people know where they can find you at on social media and anything you have that you'd like to plug.
3: Yes, sir. So you can find me on Twitter at Elliot Clough. It's E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H-1-L-1-T. And Clough is like rough as in tough. And, um, you know, I, I, podcast is, is what to check out. I share everything on my Twitter feed, but the podcast is Pelicans Plus presented by Boot Crew Media. And then you can check out bootcrewmedia.com. I've got all my writing up there. Um, and before we go, guys, I, I, we can make it quick, too. Do you guys want to move on from Nate Bjorker in this offseason? Anybody that you guys want to bring in? Oh, we want to move on right now. We
2: wanted to move on <laughs> yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, the, the competition, the head coaching openings, they're opening up. I mean, we wanted to get this done like last week. So, the
3: answers answer yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Any
3: any name that you guys want? I, I'm a huge fan of Vanserpool.
1: Yeah, I think he makes sense. I don't know if he makes sense for the Pacers, but I mean, not saying that because I, I'm not a fan of him, but I just think he might make more sense in Portland with this guy, Damian Lillard. I mean, especially if they're trying to make him happy. Sure. I, I think the guy that I like, and I liked him last year when they were looking for a coach, is Chauncey Billups. Mm. But I've also uh, I've also settled down on the thoughts of uh, Mike D'Antoni as well.
0: I okay, just feel so- like
1: he's an offensive genius and that's the way the league is going. I just feel like the Pacers really – it's not necessarily the coaching that I think is the biggest problem. I think it's roster construction. But the still, I just don't like what I heard from the reports that came out on Bjorkman, and I feel like sure. it's time to move on.
3: Another name uh, that was in the search for the Pelicans last year from the NBL, the Sydney Kings, uh, former head coach. Now he's on staff with the Rockets. If you want to go a little bit younger, sort of, of a new face in the NBA, Will Weaver. Loved yeah. Will Weaver too. He's he's beloved by his players too. And Didi Lozada, who's now with the Pels, formerly with the Kings, absolutely loved him um, during his tenure in the NBL.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say real quick, flash. I don't want to cut you off here, but I, I do think that with the Pacers going out and going after Bjorkman, I'm not sure how much she'll be keen on getting a guy that's a new face like that. Uh, yep, yeah, that makes so sense. You guys went retread, we didn't. So I'm not saying that they'll necessarily go retread with the news of Terry Stotts being fired, his name being linked to Indiana. I could see that making some sense just because of how many ties Portland and Indiana have to each other. Going back to Kevin Pritchard's time there, them going after Nate McMillan and then Terry Stotts been there for the last nine years. I mean, Stotts has a great resume and I'm not saying it's the guy that I want, but I could see it happening. And I think it's an upgrade over a guy like Nate Bjorkman, just based on what we've heard and, The defensive scheme we ran this year is absolutely pathetic. So just, you know, I'm not sure what direction they go. I'm really in favor of going after a, a former player, someone that could connect, or a longtime head coach that has a great reputation across the league, you know. And I'm not trying to sound like weird when I say this, but I really do think having a black head coach makes a lot of sense because of his ability to relate to the players. There's a lot of really good black head coaches out there that I think have done a great job of the last couple of seasons. And I just think we need more black head coaches in the NBA because these are what the players want and these players relate to them better. So that's just, that's my stance on that. Yeah. I was I'm sure just... we
3: could Sorry. Oh, go ahead. To... No, I was just going to say,
2: uh, I'm with Alex in terms of either want someone with a lot of experience or a former player that can relate to the players because Nate Bjorkren was the, the non-former player, but also the guy without head coaching experience that just kind of, we took a swing. It didn't work.
3: So now we're in a, a tough, tough spot. Yeah, and I'm sure we, I, I would have multiple questions. Um, I'm sure you guys got to go. I know you wanted to talk with a few other uh, fan bases, but mm-hmm. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, and uh, anytime you need somebody from the Pelicans, this was, this was really fun. So I love talking basketball with you guys. Appreciate you coming
1: on. Yeah, absolutely, man. So make sure you guys check out Elliot on Twitter. We'll drop his handle in our tweet when we post this podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're going to come back and talk some Pacers Kings ideas. So we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back with another GM simulator here. We've got our man Brendan Nunez on, and he is going to talk with us about the Sacramento Kings. So, Brendan, how's it going, man? I am doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. So, once again, I'll be playing the role of Kevin Pritchard in our mock situation here. Fachi will be Chad Buchanan. Hopefully, we're on a little bit better page than we were last time in our Pelicans uh, conversation there but uh, Brendan actually is going to be representing Monty McNair from the Sacramento Kings, and uh, we're going to get right into it. So let's start it. Hey, what's going on, Monty? This is Kevin Pritchard here with the Paces. How you doing?
4: I'm doing good, Kevin. What's going on?
1: So just, uh, just through the grapevine that you uh, have some interest in some of our players, and so we are taking calls on all of our players right now as we go in this offseason. There's a lot of things that, you know, I think both of our teams could could look at. So I heard you had an offer for us, and we wanted to hear it. Yeah, you know, we're really interested in Miles
4: Turner and heard some whisperings that he could potentially be available. And uh, what do you think about something like Buddy Healed? you know, uh, absolute sharpshooter? but we have a little bit of a log jam at the guard position with Tyrese Halliburton emerging, buddy healed and swapping first round picks this year. We have the ninth best odds. You guys are sitting at the 13th for miles Turner.
2: Ooh, that is uh, an intriguing deal. Would love to uh, move up, but I was actually thinking uh, what if we made this deal a little bit bigger and by a little bit, I mean, a lot bigger. Um, what would, uh, what would it take to you know pry Darren Fox away from Sacramento?
4: You know, we haven't gotten any indication that Fox doesn't want to be here. It actually seems opposite, that Fox enjoys being the leader of a team, and we give him an opportunity to do that, and uh, we think we're going to be able to build a good, eventually contending roster around him. So um, at at this current moment, I I don't think there's anything that's really going to be able to pry Fox away.
2: Every man does have his price. Kevin, is there um, uh, any uh, limitations into, into what you would include? A yeah, deal so, for De'Aaron
1: Fox? No, I you know, I, I think that really, I mean, we could have a conversation here for any of our players for De'Aaron Fox. I mean, De'Aaron Fox we view as a special talent. There, there isn't anybody that I would, you know, say is unobtainable on our roster. But I want to go back to your first offer that you offered us here, Monty, and that's buddy healed and, and swapping picks. And I understand that it does move us up, but I just feel like with what we have on our roster, we need defensive help on the perimeter. And Buddy Hill absolutely brings zero to the table, and I know that we had interest in bringing a sharpshooter into our team like Hield last year, but just doesn't feel like he is the right fit. So, if you're not willing to go with Fox, even looking at all of our roster, what can we do to to, to find a deal that may, you know makes sense for both teams? Um, well,
4: so when you look at our roster, and you're talking perimeter help defense. Who is really intriguing you there? I, I see Delon Wright, Harrison Barnes. Does that sound about right with those two guys?
1: Chad.
2: Yeah, you know I do. I do have interest in Harrison Barnes uh, as well as I believe uh, Kevin's had some interest in the past. Um, was curious though, um, you know, if we were to make the deal a little bit bigger uh, and centered around maybe say Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley, what would you be looking for uh, in regards to a return?
4: Um, I I think the main piece I would want back there would be Miles Turner. And I think that we'd have to add more money on your guys' side to make it work here. I'm kind of going through the finances in the background. Um, Yeah. I mean, hmm, is, is prying is TJ Warren expiring possibly thrown in there?
2: So TJ Warren's going to be off the table here. And I wouldn't say that he's an untouchable, but I would just say that, uh, I don't know if we're speaking the same language right now. I I would say... uh,
4: What about Jeremy Lamb?
2: Jeremy Lamb might be someone that we can agree upon here. Salaries seem to work out. Um, Kevin, what's your thoughts on a Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley for Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb deal?
1: Yeah, I, I think that we're onto something here. There's no doubt about it. I mean, with Bagley being a former number two overall pick, that's really something I think we can sell to our fan base. But at the same time... How does he fit in with Sabonis and Goga? I think there could be some questions there, Chad, that we have to think about. Um, obviously, we've got our microphone muted here, so Monty can't hear that part of our conversation. But I, I, I do think that there's something to be looked at here. I just feel like if we're going to be trading Turner, a young piece at the age of 25 years old, to the Kings who have a young star in, in uh, De'Aaron Fox with Tyrese Halliburton coming up the ladder – to me, I really believe that we should at least get a pick or a future pick, um, top three, top five protected, but very, you know, giving us a, a chance to maybe hit on another young guy because giving up Turner, you know, to this team could make them a lot better, especially if they're unable to retain Rashawn Holmes in the offseason. They could be desperate for Turner. So that's where I think we should get a pick involved in this especially if we're getting Harrison Barnes back, who is, you know, entering the latter part of his prime. And he's only got two years left on the deal.
2: So, Monty, uh, if we were to take on the remaining two years of Harrison Barnes' deal, and obviously, as you know, Marvin Bagley is heading towards restricted free agency after next year, would you be open to lightly protecting a first-rounder for next year, say, top five protected?
4: I think we vary a little bit on Harrison Barnes value um, at the deadline. You know, we were really searching for a first rounder, potentially more in return for him. Uh, I think that we could have got a first rounder for him, but didn't feel like that was quite enough value. Um, but I, I do think Miles Turner feel, fills a very important role for this Kings team that desperately needs rim protection and some improvements on the defensive end of the floor. Um, can we do top eight 2022 first rounder protected?
2: So I'm going to quickly have a conversation with uh, Kevin and put you on mute right now. Now, Kevin, would you rather have a top eight protected pick for next year or would you rather have a pick swap this year? So we can move up from, from 13 to nine, or we can go with the top eight protected.
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand why it makes sense for us to, move up in this year's draft, but at the same time, I really think that getting a pick for next year makes some sense. And I'm, I'm I'm sure we can maybe take the the Bagley-Lamb combo out of this because I'm not sure what what Bagley's value is around the league. I'm sure it's higher than Jeremy Lamb's, but we don't have to make this more complicated if we don't need to. But if they want to include Bagley in the deal, I just don't think he's been a great fit there. They could be looking to move on from him. Maybe they're, They know that, so maybe we can get more value out of him. But I just – maybe do some negotiating there and see if if Bagley is somebody that they want to get rid of or that they're just, you know, doing it to try to sweeten the deal because I really think getting that top protected pick for 2022 makes a whole lot of sense for us in terms of how we could leverage some of our other guys in trades.
2: Okay. I, I am intrigued by a top eight protected pick. I, I do think that that pick could fall around probably uh, maybe anywhere from 12 to 15 for next year. So That that is intriguing to be able to hold on to this year's pick. I still would be interested in bringing in Bagley, unloading the Jeremy Lamb's expiring deal. I think it's worth to take a risk on a guy, and I don't even want to call it a risk. Take roll the dice on a guy that needs a change of scenery.
1: Yeah, I just think
2: that's Marvin Bagley.
1: I I just don't want to upset Goga if we do that. Make him feel like he's got to you know prove that he belongs with our second unit, already struggling to get minutes as it is, but. Maybe uh, maybe we do this and maybe try to flip Bagley later this summer uh, and see if we can get more value out of him than what Sacramento got.
2: I'm interested. I'm gonna go page in uh, Monty and uh, see his thoughts. So okay. Monty, um, you know, as as we discussed, uh, a, a trade centered around uh, Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley, for Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb. Um, now we would accept your offer of a top eight protected pick for next year instead of top five if the deal still stands.
4: It sounds like a deal, guys, and we'll go top eight protected. Tell me if this is okay. Top eight protected in 2022. 2023, we can go top four. 2024, top one, and then unprotected if it falls into 2025, which I would guess it doesn't.
1: Kevin? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm... Call call Adam. (laughs) Let's call it in, boys. Let's call it in. All right. So we're done playing our little phone call here. So, so Brendan, I mean, if that deal were to happen, do you think that would make a lot of sense for you guys?
4: I think it would. I I think that there's a lot of people in the fan base and media that think that if you're getting rid of Harrison Barnes, that you're just opening up another hole, even though you are filling that spot um, of rim protection with miles Turner, that I think is so desperately needed. Um, And, but I, I do think that the center position and, them being defensive focused is going to be really crucial for this Kings team, because when you already have two crazy offensive engines and Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox, I think they can take most of the offensive pressure just between them. So I think that as much as I love Rashawn Holmes, he's more offensive focused. So if you could turn it into more of a guy like Miles Turner, where most of their presence is being felt on the defensive end of the floor, I think that'd be really important. But so this is something personally I would do. I, I do also know, other people in Sacramento media that probably wouldn't be for it, but I think that they could talk themselves into this. Um, but it does have a lot to do with what happens with Rashawn Holmes this offseason. Because I think if Holmes is still on the roster, returns for the four years, 47 million, which is the most Sacramento can offer him uh, without clearing up additional cap space, it probably doesn't make too much sense to bring Turner and uh, Turner in if Holmes is already here. Yeah. But my guess is, I think it's kind of a coin flip or more like, 65% chance Holmes gets offered more than the four years, 47 by Toronto or Charlotte specifically.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So Charlotte, you know, has just the biggest need out there for a center. And we heard that Rashawn Holmes is, you know, elite, who knows if it came from him or him or his group or whatever, they believe to be asking around 20 million per year. Right. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like way too much, but it does seem that it out, you know, He's looking for much more than the four for 47 that you mentioned that uh, the Kings can offer him. So that, that is going to be intriguing. Obviously if you guys can work out a deal for Rashawn Holmes, it doesn't make much sense to bring in miles Turner there. Uh, Bagley, someone who I just feel and everybody else feels has underperformed where his draft stock was. It's no doubt about that, but I do think that there's more to his game, but I think he needs a change of scenery right now. Harrison Barnes, good player, ready to plug in from day one you know, on a new team. And Jeremy Lamb, that's a guy who's expiring, who went healthy, was a pretty good player in the past. Obviously, he's coming off that ACL tear. But Turner, I feel like, as you mentioned, fits what you guys are looking to do. Pacers just happen to be rich in the center department.
1: Right, and how do you guys
4: think Barnes would fit on the roster?
1: Yeah, that's that's the guy I wanted the Pacers to go after during the trade deadline. And I thought that the Turner deal made a lot of sense at that point as well. Not sure what exactly would involve, like, other players, other picks, like, to get both teams to agree. But I, I do like Barnes. I think that he makes sense. Playing that small ball four, I don't think that, you know, it, it should limit T.J. Warren playing there as well. I think that you could easily take Barnes out of the game and, and let Warren play some four solo minutes by himself. But I just think anytime the Pacers could get a couple of, you know, bigger wings it would help them. They did get a nice surprise at the end of the season in O'Shea set. somebody that really played well for them as a starter. And this is a guy that got out of the G League, played for the Pacers and the uh, or the the Madians, I should say, excuse me, during the G League and really shined. And he played good for the Raptors 905 team last year. So I I really like O'Shea set. I don't think this hinders his game too much. I think that Barnes, I mean, we saw it this year with Sacramento, can play the threesome as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to do that. And I like that his contract is declining um, over the next couple of years as well. I I just think that it makes sense for both teams. But I got to ask you, Brendan, do you think that this deal realistically could happen? I think from Sacramento's
4: point of view um, that some change needs to happen. And McNair has been talking about the way that you know, he's going to make a change and really look to improve this roster is looking for value moves via the trade market. Um, like you've seen most guys that come from Daryl Morey trees do um, you see Gerson Rosas doing it in Minnesota. Um, so I, I do think that there's a good chance that the Kings are involved in some sort of notable trade this off season And the three names are got to be buddy healed Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley. And I think, a lot of people think there's a good chance the pick this year gets traded. Um, you know, is there a deal that would work with Turner revolving around like Heald being the matching salary rather than Barnes? If you know there was lighter protections on the pick, or may maybe even like just straight up the pick this year or anything like that.
2: It'd be interesting. I mean, I've soured a bit on Buddy Heald uh, about a year ago. I was I was much higher on him. I do like that his contract does decline as well. Um, similar to Harrison Barnes. If the Pacers were straight up getting the first round pick, it's more appealing, but I I definitely would prefer the deal of Barnes and Bagley uh, and a, and a protected first round pick for Turner and Lamb. But Alex, what was your thoughts on uh, if it was um, Buddy Heald and a first?
1: Yeah. So kind of like I said, when I was playing Kevin Pritchard's role, I just, you know, I like the first round pick idea. I just don't think that Buddy Heald makes a whole lot of sense with this roster especially if you've got Brogdon and Levert in the backcourt. I feel like Buddy Heald is a guy that really wants the ball in his hands, and it's going to be hard enough for him not to have the ball in his hands, especially considering how much Domas Sabonis has the ball in his hands as well. So while I I do enjoy watching Buddy Heald, you know, go on a scoring stretch there and really just like hitting everything, I feel like he might make more sense on another team. I'm just not sure what that team is. It'd be kind of funny if the if – the, Pelicans trade it again to get buddy healed back just cause they could use some shooting. But Brandon, are there any buddy healed suitors out there like any other trade ideas for buddy Hield? I think Dallas is interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah.
4: And you know, if, if New York is willing to take them into cap space, but where it gets difficult this year um, Philly made a lot of sense, I thought, but you know, a lot of the deals I had laid out were deadline deals. So I haven't looked at what's expiring next season. And this is what makes the home situation so interesting and why, I and multiple other members of Sacramento media felt like a trade needed to happen. This deadline was now you're really limiting yourself on what you can offer homes with that four years, 47, because most of the time you're doing a trade in the off season, you it's very rare to just be able to trade players in the cap space and not have to take back matching salary. So if they can do that in any sort of way, I think the two obvious teams have always been Dallas and Philly to me. Um, But Philly's moving on from, I forget exactly who their matching expiring was Um, But the idea was, you know, potentially trying to get Thibel in return, which um, now that Buddy has had a rough season this year, I think is way more or less likely, probably borderline impossible when you're talking about him being the main asset. I mean, right now, I think Buddy Heald is, is a bad contract, I think probably agreed on by most of the league. The impression we've gotten is that he's been on the trade market, but he hasn't moved because, you know, the Kings haven't gotten an offer they would like. Um, and who knows if maybe they're asking prices too high, but I, I would be surprised if the Kings got any notable return for Buddy Heald right now.
2: It's crazy. Cause it felt like when he got that contract, it felt like it was like, Oh, Sacramento's gotta pay him. Like they can't just let, you know, not pay him. He's delivered over there. And then right. now hearing it from you, it, it's just a shame how quick things change. Um, because it does seem like he was far more appealing to acquire a year or two ago. Um, Things have definitely changed over there. But I need to know, what's going on with Luke Walton? Because from an outside Sacramento fan base, he is not thought of highly by a lot of people. And I'm just curious why they continue to stick with Luke Walton.
4: I'm curious too. Um, (laughs) I think that, like you said, from an outside point of view, that most people don't think highly of Luke Walton. I think from inside, people do not think highly of Luke Walton either. I have been preaching all throughout the end of the season at the beginning of the off season, even though the news came pretty quick that he would stay in the next year, that one of the main changes that would need to happen going into 2021, 22 was getting a new coach because, you know, I think that while the roster looked better with some of the minor bench improvements that money McNair made at the deadline with Delon, Wright, Terrence Davis, and um, there's one other one I'm missing here. Um, But Oh, Maurice Harkless that, you know, the defense got a little bit better. There's no way that they should have been last in the league throughout this season. And a lot of that had to do with, I think similarly to what you guys were doing, except um, it was just the exact same scheme every single time. And it didn't understand why. They were switching everything. And not literally everything, but 80% of pick and roll coverages were being switched unless it's a um, side pick and roll where where there's no help going on or anything like that. So when, you know, Damian Jones... Chemezi, Metu are getting switched on to Luka Doncic, Seth Curry, Damian Lillard. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, we're not even going to – you know, I, I always go back to Milwaukee last season where they have awesome personnel for drop coverage. Brooke Lopez is awesome at it. The whole team got very used to it. But if you do the exact same thing every single time, even if your personnel is great for it, other teams are going to know going into it this is exactly what they're going to do. So these are where we're going to get our shots. So pairing it, doing the same thing every single time with also having poor personnel for doing that, because while Holmes is a really good switching big, the rest of the roster is not built for switching. Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox, um, two, you know, slimmer guards that, you know, can kind of scram if you had a really beefy and um, versatile 3-4, which – Harrison Barnes and Maurice Harkless kind of fit that later in the year, but we never got to see all five of those guys really healthy for extended periods of time. So I don't know. Um, You know, I think that the offense looked better this season, but I do personally credit. I I don't think Walton's doing anything fancy. I think he puts them in a very free flowing offense that allows Fox and Halliburton to make reads and make plays from there. But so I, I guess credit where credit is due there, but, Yeah, the defense really um, is a struggle for me, and I'll admit I'm a guy that likes defense more than offense, which has made uh, this season a little bit rough for me and why (laughs) I like Miles Turner, I think, so much. But the argument we're hearing from from the team and front office and all that is continuity, that the players really like him, Um, which I hate that argument. I will say, you know, Giannis liked Jason Kidd. Steph Curry liked Mark Jackson. Um, I think that you can grow to like other people. And if those are your two main reasons for keeping a coach around, you probably shouldn't keep him around is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how next year goes, I guess.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised Luke Walton did get to keep his job, but here we are. And, you know, I, uh, I do feel bad for you guys a little bit, but I have to ask, looking at this roster and looking at the playoffs and seeing how well Bogdanovich is doing for the Hawks and obviously the whole thing that happened with, Milwaukee in the offseason is there any part of you that wishes you guys kept Bogdanovich and did not you know allow him to walk
4: yeah actually at the time of that being signed myself and a good handful of other guys were saying that that was it was poor business to let him walk yeah um you know it would have been a lot for McNair to have to deal with but Obviously, we're seeing that Bogey is worth that four year 72 million. I think it's totally reasonable. You're seeing him start on a team that just went into the second round of the playoffs and being a key contributor there. Um, I think that, you know, getting DiVincenzo um, as an offer, like if that would have gone through, we would feel a lot better about McNair right now than I think a lot of people do. But I think the fact that a starter on Milwaukee was available says that there would have been more deals for Big And, you know, I, I get that. This wasn't the roster that McNair picked and he wanted future flexibility. But personally, I thought even at the time of that, that it was poor business to not sign him to that deal and then just turn them around and ship them this um, by the trade deadline.
2: Completely agree. That was very puzzling. Um, someone who I thought that Sacramento valued very highly, at least to be able to work out some type of trade or anything of the sort. Just. Letting them walk, I felt like, was something that in Sacramento you kind of just can't do. I feel the same way kind of in Indiana that, hey, you know, not to compare Bogdanovich to, you know, an Oladipo or a Paul George, but those are the type of guys that if they're hitting free agency coming up, you you just can't let them walk. You got to make a move.
4: Like I said, the whole thing with McNair is that he seems like at some point there's going to be a home run swing of a trade, that he's going to wait for some star to potentially become available. Is there any world where that's Sabonis? Where if you don't include Fox or Halliburton in this, you can name your price outside of those two, however many picks you want. Is there any world where you see that possible?
1: With this roster, uh, I I don't personally. I, I think you'd have to have Halliburton or Fox and the deal if Sabonis is going to be dealt. Some people might push back that don't like Sabonis, but I, I think that from the Pacers front office standpoint. This is your two-time All Star. He's kind of the face of your franchise. It would have to take a monster offer. I mean, I'm talking like all the a picks. lot, of, all the picks. Yeah, the pick I was thinking,
2: I was thinking like at least three first-round picks, and then you're talking like Harrison Barnes, you know? Um, yeah. So something like that, where we're getting a boatload of picks, but. Even even for Sacramento, I mean, is that a trade you guys want to do if it doesn't work out and, and you're without picks for years? It, it could put the Kings in a bad spot.
4: Yeah, I think that, that some people want to do it. I don't like the idea of Sabonis as much, again, because I do think that Fox Halliburton can be the offensive engines. And then from that point, I would just try to get some defensive fillers in there. Um, and yeah, specifically from the center position. So I personally don't love it, but I definitely know people that, I think would strongly consider that trade. And I think that that's what some people are hoping Sacramento look to do, if not this off season, or if some star becomes available that you offer up, you know, four, three, four, five first round picks um, and, and make something happy because they've been sitting pat and just stuck in the middle for years now. So it's like, pick a direction and it doesn't seem like they're going to try to tank or this would have been the year to do it this season um, so it seems like at some point they're going to have to go all in for a star here.
1: All right. Well, I, I don't have any more questions for you, Brendan, but I thought this was a lot of fun. It was a really cool exercise to to do, and I, I feel like this went much more smoothly than our uh, our trade talks with the Pelicans, but I do, I do feel like this would be a good deal for both teams, and I think that the Pacers, you know, I just can't imagine them running back with two centers this year. I mean, it would be very shocking if they had Turner and Sabonis to start next season I think, the, I think the league knowing that could put a little bit of a hindrance on how the Pacers are able to negotiate. But at the end of the day, you just you have to make a move that makes sense. And I think this does make sense. And some might hate it, some might love it, but, you know, that's part of trade. So, Brendan, where can people find you at on social media?
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I thought it was a fun conversation. And I'm on Twitter at Brendan Nunes NBA and it's the Kings Pulse podcast and right for the Kings
1: Herald. So everything Kings going on there. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on and we will uh, have to have you back on if the Pacers and Kings do make a trade. All right, Foch, not going to lie, that was a little bit of fun, but also a little bit of cringe there from us trying to pretend like we were other people. Uh, But uh, hopefully that was fun for you guys as we did some little trade simulators there, just trying to play GM, kind of get in the minds of what these other organizations might be interested in. And I think the best way to do that for us as fans is just to talk to, other fan bases and kind of get their pulse on their team.
2: Yeah, of course. You know, I, I did feel that after a while, you know, we were able to go back and forth and coordinate a, a pretty good deal for the Pacers and Kings uh, involving a future first round pick. I uh, thought that went a little bit better than the Pelicans situation, but uh, you know, always fun kind of playing around and see, you know, what other GMs are thinking, how they evaluate you know, other teams' talents. So it's always good. We know how we feel about our Pacer players, but
1: always nice to hear from another team. Absolutely. So we promised you at the beginning of the podcast, as we wrapped up our first segment, that we would talk a little bit about the Porzingis rumors involving him coming to Indiana. And then, of course, uh, there's a potential C.J. McCollum trade out there for the Pacers. So let's start off with the Porzingis stuff, Fletch. I don't think the Pacer fan base has been more unified to now bring a player onto this team I mean, I I even heard some people say Ricky Rubio, like they were okay with it. But there was a major revolt against the Ricky Rubio rumors. I mean, this revolt is louder and bigger uh, with Porzingis, uh, this go-around.
2: It is always great when Pacer Nation come together. And I don't think there is a single Pacer fan out there that wants Christoph Porzingis. I mean – Right now, you're you're getting someone who's not going to be playing defense. You're getting someone who is injury prone. This man cannot finish a season. He will not. He has not finished a season. And then you're getting someone who is drastically overpaid. Uh, I mean, we've talked offline before, but in terms of players to put the ball on the court for two times, two dribbles, we're talking about Kristaps Porzingis shot 31.5%. That is last 240th out of any player that would qualify for that. So the, the, the man, he he's declining in skill, and I just don't want the Pacers to be attached to him in any way possible, even if it's a fake rumor.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, Chris Thomas probably wants out of Dallas because he hates being second fiddle, but he ain't going to be number one fiddle here nope. in Indiana. I just tell you that right now. They're not going to change everything to run it through him. He's got skill, don't get me wrong, but I just – there's just something about him that rubs me the wrong way. I mean, he quit on New York. Now he's quitting on Dallas. Just seems like a guy that's just a little bit more of a head case than I think the Indiana Pacers want to deal with. So I would not freak out too much about it. And usually when you hear a lot of rumors linked around a certain player going to the Pacers, it does not usually happen. I mean, how many times have we heard Dan Tony to the Pacers last offseason? That never happened. I mean, nobody even heard of Nate Bjorkman besides of the one report that Nick Nurse did on SiriusXM radio talking about it. So just the Pacers keep things very hush-hush, would be 100% flabbergasted if they traded Miles Turner in a deal around Christophs Porzingis, let alone throwing TJ Warren in there as one of these trade ideas came around and said. So like, clearly these people not have any idea what the Pacers do or who the Pacers are and what they plan to do with their future because there's no way they would trade both Warren and Turner for a guy like Porzingis.
2: No, not at all. I mean, any, anyone who listened to Kevin Pritchard's press conference end the season, you could really just hear how much he and the organization values TJ Warren. That we're not just going to make some crazy trade like this to be paying Porzingis well over thirty million per year. It's just not a smart move by any means. I don't think that there's a team out there where Porzingis can be the number one guy while they're still a good team and winning. So I just think that Dallas is kind of in a hard spot right over there where I don't know what a return for Porzingis would be. But when you think that Dallas traded two first-round picks, um, you know, also it's it crazy that Tim Hardaway Jr. was thrown in there, but it was more of taking on the money owed to Tim Hardaway Jr. And there, it just it's, it's a shocker that I don't know how they're going to be able to get rid of Porzingis. It just feels like they're going to have to try and work that situation out internally.
1: Yeah. So I will go ahead and transition here. Cause I don't want to spend too much time on Porzingis because I don't care about Porzingis. And I want to move on to the CJ McCollum uh, portion of this podcast, because look, I, I get it with Portland firing Terry Stotts and they want to make changes there. A lot of people have said, what do you think about CJ McCollum to the Pacers? And we've had different people in, in include trade ideas. And these are people that aren't even fans of the team. And I, I was asked, well, what do you think about Warren and Turner to to Portland for this? And I I just don't think it makes any sense. And in one of these trade ideas, they actually had Nurkic coming back to the Pacers. It's like, what what are we talking about? And this person tried to make the case that Nurkic and Sabonis would be a good fit together. And I politely rejected those thoughts and said, you have zero idea about what the Pacers and their fan base want. So uh, Turner and Turner and Sabonis is a better combo than Nurkic and Sabonis. Just not going to lie to you. So I did have a fake trade, Fachi, but I didn't know if you had any uh, fake trades for CJ McCollum yourself.
2: Uh, no, not really. I know that we had discussed one offline, so I'd love to hear uh, yours too, or have you share it with listeners.
1: Yeah, so basically I wasn't even going to do any CJ McCollum fake trades. But like I said, this person messaged me. They have a pretty good podcast. I don't want to oust them, but they did share my they did share my trade idea today on Twitter because they thought it made a lot of sense. And they were a little bit hesitant on one team doing this deal. But here was the deal. I said, if you're going to trade Yusuf Nurkic in this deal, you can't trade him to the Pacers. There's got to be a third team involved. So here's my trade between the Celtics, the Indiana Pacers, and the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers get Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, and Aaron Holiday. The Celtics get Yusuf Nurkic, the Pacers get C.J. McCollum and Marcus Smart. Fachi, love it or hate it?
2: I like it only because, A, at this point, Aaron Holiday situation, it's, it's, it's kind of hit its point of we really don't know where we're going there. I don't feel comfortable really committing uh, a new contract to Aaron Holiday next year. Turner, you do have to clear up the center situation, but, it, you know, Miles Turner is someone who I feel like fits more teams than Sabonis. And then the other player in there was... Um, is it Malcolm Brogdon? Is that who it was? Yeah, so
1: Turner Brogdon and Aaron Holliday to the Blazers.
2: Yeah. So in this situation, to be able to bring back CJ McCollum, you're getting a score. You're getting a guy that can give you over 20 a night, every single night, that I feel like fits this team, doesn't need the ball in his hands. And then to bring in Marcus Smart, you're getting that. I don't know. There's so many different words that could be used to describe Marcus Smart. It could be. Tough, it could be pesky, whatever it is, you're getting exactly (laughs) you're getting a tough defensive-minded guard that I think that the Pacers need a little bit of that. They need I'm not trying to compare him to Lance Stevenson, but you need someone with edge. You need someone that that that's not really gonna take, you know, take stuff from anybody who's gonna be able to, you know, take charges, who's gonna be able to just, I don't know. I feel like Marcus Smart. There's something about him that he plays his role. Great. And coming into the NBA, his role was expected to be bigger. He's now settled into a role that he does very well that I think would be very effective for the Pacers.
1: Yeah, so where I just I just feel like this trade makes some sense to me. I love CJ McCollum's scoring ability. I know his defense is putrid, but I mean before he got hurt last season, he He was gonna be an
2: all-star. Yeah,
1: he was on fire. And unfortunately for him, like he just had one of those careers where it's just like he has had really bad injuries at the wrong time. Marcus Smart has been somewhat injury-prone, so this does make sense. It's on on brand for the Pacers to go out and trade for him, right? Now, I, I think offensively, McCollum is an upgrade over Brogdon. Don't get me wrong there. I think yeah. losing Turner, you're definitely missing that rim protection, but you do get better perimeter defense with Marcus Smart. Now, you might lose him there with McCollum and Brogdon being swapped, but Aaron Holiday here is not really a, uh, a guy that's really in the Pacers' rotation right now, but it does give – the Blazers, somebody young, they could, you know, look to maybe give them a nicer role. But I know they have Anthony Simons as well. So how to see fit. But I do think Brogdon being 6'5", bigger than McCollum, could fit really nice next to C.J. Or uh, excuse me, next to Dame Lillard. And then, of course, having Miles there to protect the rim. I think that's what Dame really needs is someone to protect that. And then you go ahead and add Robert Covington to that team. That's a good core four. They still are missing a piece. I don't know if it makes them like drastically better. So that's why I think they might say no to this deal. I mean, if I'm looking at it on paper, I would say Pacers are the best or get the most in this deal, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, I think it makes sense for all teams. It's just like one of those deals. I just don't think it happens. But I'm I'm looking at it on paper. It's fun to throw it out there. And um, this person did share it. And I'm, I'm laughing at some of the comments back. Like So many people are divided on it. Uh, saying Celtics are the only one that win here. And then it says Pacers are the only ones that win here. And then some are like, why are the Blazers doing this? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Portland values CJ McCollum way more than what I maybe threw out there, especially including Nurkic. But at this point with Nurkic's comments saying he didn't know if he'd be back next season, that makes me a little bit hesitant on what his value is. Yeah, no,
2: it, it definitely – with Nurk, I couldn't see him being moved. But, you know, CJ McCollum's that guy that – you know, you want to keep Damian Lillard happy. And CJ and Dame obviously have a great relationship. So if you're going to move CJ McCollum, you better be sure that that the the trade, you know, the players that you're bringing back is better than, than sending out CJ. So that's going to be a move that they'd have to tread lightly because that could be one of those, the start of the end for Damian Lillard. He's always been as loyal as they come. He's made that known. But you want to win and you also need help. So you don't want to be trading, you know, your backcourt mate who's been there through thick and thin with you. Um, So that could ruffle some feathers, but Portland
1: does need change. Yeah, I think that all the change would be good for all the teams. I mean, Boston, they're a really hard team to figure out which direction they go. But getting Nurkic there, I think if he can stay healthy, you got Tatum, you got Brown, whatever they do with Kimba. I mean, there's room there for that team to improve. I think Nurkic is an improvement over Tristan Thompson. There's no doubt about that. It just depends on what they want to give up. And I mean, they could do their own separate trade and do smart for Nurkic, whatever they want to do. It makes some sense. But yeah, I just I'm not I'm not sure where the Pacers go with a McCollum trade. But I think the best bet is if Damian Lillard wants out and the Pacers are unable to get Damian Lillard, they decide to move on from McCollum as well and do a complete rebuild in Portland. That could be your best route to maybe go out there and get him and not have to give up too much. But at the end of the day, I just think that. A deal from McCollum is more than uh, unlikely to happen, Fletch.
2: I don't see it happening. It just seems like one of those guys that it feels like the Pacers, like he could be had for the right price. You're catching them in, in kind of a limbo stage where they need to make changes. But at the, at the same point, Portland's not just looking to give him away. I think you would have to impress them, offer a bigger deal. And you know, that deal while that kind of I don't know, it, it's it's intriguing, but it's definitely not a no-brainer for Portland.
1: Yeah, so for me right now, I, I, I think I've had about enough of the trade talks that I can have for the day. So we uh we definitely had quite a bit of trade talk there for you. So we will be back on Wednesday for a prospect chronicles and then Thursday, Thursday, Friday around that time, we will have another episode for you guys looking at potential free agent shooting guards. So Flashy, where can the people find us out on social media? So you
2: can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You could find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. You could find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk.
1: And at the end of the day, if you love doing fake trades and you're a Pacer fan, say these three words. Let's go Pacers!